Hey, Elliot. Hey, Brian. What's the talk of the table? Today is our final Zine Month special episode featuring our final two incredible zine designers. They are Nick Gralowich with Home, a mech vs. kaiju map making game, and Darling Demon Eclipse with Biotrophication. Hello and welcome back to Talk of the Table. Today, Elliot and I are joined by Nick Gralowich to discuss his project, Home, a mech and kaiju map making TTRPG. And if that line hasn't sold you already, I do not know what will. But we're going to talk for 30 minutes and really dive into this game. Nick, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you. I was telling you before this started, on every level that I've seen of this game, it's right up my alley. So I'm really excited to start this conversation. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. But to start us off, can you give us the elevator pitch for what this game is and what it's about? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it's in the title, right? It's a mech and kaiju map making role-playing game. Uh, there's, there's a lot there, but I think that kind of, you know, tells you what generally it is. You are a pilot who is piloting a mech. You are fending off a kaiju invasion and you're protecting your home. At, at a high level, it's a, it's a one to four player GM-less game. Uh, so you don't need to have a GM facilitating this. You can play it solo. It's more narrative focused than I'd say tactically focused. You hear mech and kaiju and you hear map making it. It's a lot about exploration and action. But there's a big aspect of this. This is about hope and loss. And, you know, the home aspect is something I really dug into as well. I want to dive into all of that in detail. (laughs) But there's a question we've been asking every designer in this series to start us off. And I think it's a good question to start with because it kind of informs everything else we'll talk about after this. And, And the question is, what is your ethos as a game designer? Like, what is your North Star guiding light for when you're looking to design a game? I mean... Some obvious answers are that I have to enjoy it. It has to spark joy within me. I think that that's that's an easy one, right? Especially to power through the difficult times, the times when you're you're frustrated with the design. Yeah, you have to love it. You have to want to play test it one more time. And so I, I feel like that's that's a big thing, right? But you know, when I look at some of the designers that I really appreciate, I want this to be applicable and simple to a large audience. So I I want this to be more accessible as a game, not super, super crunchy. You don't have to come in with a large like TTRPG experience previously. I've been trying to get rid of jargon in it because I think it's good to have uh, a game that can appeal to a broader audience to maybe bring some folks in, especially when it's like, you know, mechs and kaiju. And that might not be always the like initial thing that a D&D player would come into with, right? So it is also very fun to because you said it in your in your intro that this is a game also about like loss and hope and it is fun to, by opening up with mech and kaiju map making game, you already <laughs> see the the desserts and the like. The hidden juicy good vegetables are right under that. Totally, with like the loss and home, and it's going to be a great meal to eat. Uh, I want to ask this question on two levels. So the mechanics here, how do they inform the like on the surface theme of mech versus kaiju, and then how do the mechanics also serve this underneath theme of loss and hope and home? So there's a couple different like aspects of mechanics in it, right? There's the map making mechanic, which uh, you know I, I was highly influenced by games like The Quiet Here, right? Which is just such a such a great game for collaborative map making. Um, just stretching that like additional element of creative play, right? Great to role play, great to improv. But when you get to like draw something cool and have an artifact at the end of it, I feel like I feel like that's awesome. And so a part of this is is making that map and 
creating your home. And part of creating your home is creating different locations, different cities or, or important spots in your home. And then when the, the kaiju attacks, if you don't defend against it, you have to cross those out. And, you know, if you're used to making to-do lists, crossing something out can feel very visceral. And so, you know, when you only have five locations and they're starting to get crossed out, you feel like your home is deteriorating and being destroyed. And I feel like that really lends into that aspect of seeing what's left, seeing what's what's being lost. And and so that's that's one aspect of it um, that I that I really enjoy. There's there's another mechanic. So uh, uh, it's it's a fairly simple dice mechanic. You, you you know you roll d sixes. They can be one color d sixes that are boon dice, one color that are bane dice, and they basically you know you accumulate more boon dice, more likely success. Accumulate more bane dice, uh, more likely for failure. And as you roll them, you kind of accumulate more dice in your pool. So you're preparing. You're getting more good dice or bad dice as you go to fight the kaiju. And then as you fight the kaiju, you start to lose those dice. So you're deteriorating. You're getting down to lesser and lesser dice. And it's kind of a fun way to, to show both preparation, whether it's good or bad, and then deterioration during the fight afterwards, which I think is like a, just a, a fun mechanic that ties in with the, the gameplay itself. And it's almost on two levels of this building up. Like you're building up the map and the map is getting destroyed and you're building up the dice pool and the dice pool is getting destroyed. I love that. 100%, yeah. I, I think that, you know, when I think back to games that I really enjoy and the moments in, in TTRPGs that I, I enjoy, um, I love building a character and I love when my characters die, right? So this game has both of those kind of in spades in it, right? Your, your characters, like, you're more than likely going to go through a couple mechs. You might go through a couple pilots. And the fact that you have to, you know, quickly create those and build them up and then you get to kind of narrate those intense moments at the end is is always fun. Like, I love that. I think a lot of what you're saying is really taking a lot of, especially for me and Elliot, like our design magic words of having so many things feeding into the theme of the game, like with the dice pool, having a like artifact of play is something that we've been, we've been seeing a lot in these interviews and I think it's been become a little bit more in recent games that we've been excited about. It's funny when when I first saw this, just the name of this game, and it said map making. My first thought was, map like I wouldn't have gone to map making for Mech vs Kaiju, but I just like two days ago, my dad was in town. We wanted to see a movie, and we saw Godzilla minus one, and it was a great Kaiju Godzilla film, and there are a surprising number of maps in that game or in that movie. And as I kind of think about it, it really does. A map is really the best way to show the damage a Kaiju can do. And like it, by, because it's such a familiar object and it's something that you can create and destroy. It does feel, I didn't think my first thought when I saw this, I was like, what is this? And this, the more and more I think about it, I'm like, of course this was this is the only way to do this. Why is it every Mac first kaiju game a Mac making game? Totally. It's I mean like that was, that was a long walk to get there. No, no, and I hundred <laughs> percent agree though, right? It's um, you know, maps, maps, maps are fun, first off. I think I think maps are awesome. I love maps, but like they show scale so well. You see countries, you see like you see the entire world. And when you've got something like a kaiju coming in, like you've got Godzilla coming in you know, uh, it's going to destroy a city in a blink of an eye. You need a larger scale to represent that. And the only thing you can do is have a large map that shows that. That's like, so I don't know. I I feel like it just, it it shows the potential scale of it 
a little better. And I 100% agree with you, right? There, there's more maps than you think in those things. I, I want to ask you a question that feels a little leading, if that's all right. Totally. I feel like this game, there are certain games that have moments when you're playing where you go, oh, that's what this game is about. And I feel like this game probably has it. And I'm curious if you have a thought on like what that moment is when people, when you've like play tested maybe, or, or even when you've like written, like what's, what's that? Oh, that's what this game is moment. So um, I think, I think there's two and I think they're the same that happen at two different times. So when you're creating your home, right, there's, you know, the beginning of the game is basically you create your home. Um, you give it a name, you put your locations on the map, you, you say what it's known for, right? And, and you kind of just build a little bit of the world. During that, you, you, you mark down your five locations, your five cities, your five important places. And the first thing you do is you cross one of them out because the kaiju attack, the first attack has already happened, right? If we think of like Pacific Rim, everything happens after the first attack. So you have to cross it out. That introduces a mechanic, but it also shows you that you, you set up five, but you've reduced it by one already. You only have like four places left. So people start to see immediately that like, oh, this is a game about destruction. This is what destruction looks like. But then once you get to that first kaiju attack, because you, you go through phases, you fight uh, stronger and stronger kaiju. Once you go through that first one, and uh, if you succeed, great. But if you fail, you're crossing off another couple locations on your on your map and you're realizing that, you know, you're doing the math. You're like, I only have this much left and there's still more game to come. So like, how is this going? What is this going to look like? And I feel like that's when players start to really understand what the game is about. It, it's about that loss. It's about what does it mean afterwards? It's almost like success is fun. It's fun to stop the kaiju, but it's kind of more fun not to, I think, in terms of a gameplay perspective you kind of want to see the change in the map and the change in the landscape i mean it is really a great relic of play you see you can see the whole game 100 through it it's it is a written record of what happened i've used the metaphor recently like i don't know this this might not resonate with some folks but i remember when i would i would go for long road trips in the car with my parents and i would reach into the glove box and i'd pull out the like the big map right and it would have like little things circled on it and lines and stuff and i'm like what are these things? Like, it's it's so interesting to look back at those afterwards and be like, what was this? I I want to pull these like these maps out, you know, from the from the junk drawer, like five years down the road, and be like, whoa, I remember when this place was destroyed. I feel like that's so awesome. I feel like that's just that's something I've, I've tried to design towards. I've got a weird, a dumb like kid map story that I had forgotten until you said this. It's funny. This interview series has broken up like three or four childhood memories in me. And this one's fun. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, my grandparents lived in, so we, I was uh, raised in Ohio and Columbus and my grandparents lived in Pennsylvania and New York. So we'd often road trip across Pennsylvania, visit one set of grandparents and then to New York, visit the other set. And my parents had this uh, like flip map. So it was like a, a long rectangular guy and it showed like the interstate and you'd kind of flip to the next page and there'd be the next section of it, next section, next section. My parents showed me, like they highlighted it for me and I could trace it with my finger. But what I did was in like real time, I just estimated the speed of the car. And so I just kept moving my finger up, but we'd finish like a page in a minute and a page was like a hundred miles or something. <laughs> so like five minutes later, I was like, oh, we're like almost there. And my parents were like, no, we're not. Was like, Let me talk to you about what a map is. <laughs> That's very cute. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it should. I. It, I don't know. It should have moved the same speed. I think. I think I was doing it right. I think the math was wrong. Hundred percent. Yeah. Or the car was just moving too slow. Um, the car was moving too slow. <laughs> it's seventy in Pennsylvania. Let's go. Totally. Well, it's it, so. There's an interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch your story into applying to what I think is cool about this game. Oh, wow. where good luck. <laughs> where there's an interesting thing about scale with maps and like you like you didn't have this understanding of scale of speed and stuff. And also with like in terms of devastation of something like a kaiju attack, there's something that's like that trivializes the loss and reminds you how devastating it is about marketing it on a map. There's like there's there's a really fun tension there but that that the scale of a map does where it's like oh this is as simple as crossing out but when i really think about it like that is a whole portion of a city or a country or what have you it's yeah yeah 100 and that's that's an aspect i tried to put in the game as well so um every pilot has a connection right there's there's uh, as you're building these things up there's not a lot of stats or moving parts it's fairly fairly simple because you need to be able to build them up quickly and I'm also like, what is the minimum amount of information you need to create a cool character to kind of like move forward in the part of the game? So one of the the critical parts is that you have a connection that could be, you know, a family member, a, a mother, a brother, a, a grandma. It could be a, a friend, a pet, but it is the thing that like keeps you going in that darkest hour. And when you think about it, right, it's easy to cross out a city, but you're like, was that the city that my like grandma was in? And now it starts to become just that little bit more tense and, you, and you're starting to like make that scale connection real. And I don't know, I feel like that was a, a just, if you think about the great things about the first Pacific Rim movie, it's always from the human perspective. It's not from the, from up high, it's always from down low inside the cockpit. And that's what I wanted a lot of this to be about was from the human perspective, because that's what makes it awe-inspiring. So yeah, just trying to lean into that a little bit more. That is the thing, kind of going back to, Godzilla minus one is that all of the devastation of that was felt from the ground level. Like you, it were always right around people and like you could really feel the size of it. Whereas when you look at, you know, movies that are, you know, Godzilla versus Kong or something, you completely lose any sense of scale. So it doesn't feel as important. It doesn't feel as like visceral and you don't, you don't really feel it. But when you're on the level and there's, you're standing right next to one person and you see the devastation that is wrought. Yeah, it's very, so cool. obviously Pacific Rim is a is a touchstone. Do you have any other touchstones or inspirations for this game? I mean, uh, so I, I love Pacific Rim. I think that that's the major touchstone. A lot of the other kaiju movies, Godzilla movies. I mean, I think that there's there's a like a, an anime mecha aspect to this as well that kind of comes through. Um, I'm not super well versed in a lot of that side, but one of my other nerdy hobbies is like Warhammer and miniature miniature model making, and um, I love I love mechs. I love modeling up mechs, and I love just like the gritty, realistic nature of those things. So I feel like a lot of this comes from comes from that angle, yeah. And then sort of moving into Zine Month and the actual funding. So let's just get like the details out there for folks. Like, where are you funding? When are you funding? And like, what are the different rewards people can get when they back home? Because this is my first Zine Month, um, I wanted to, to wait a little bit. I wanted a little bit more lead up time to just see and make some adjustments if I needed to. So the, the campaign will go live uh, February 13th. It's all on on Kickstarter. I had a chat with a friend of mine, uh, kind of evaluating the different platforms and being a new creator without much of an audience. I, I thought that that would be the best way to kind of get get it out there. I see that there's benefits to to other systems as well, and I feel like I would love to try some of those afterwards. And right now, I want to keep the the rewards fairly straightforward because this is my first one. I want to deliver a great 
game product, I feel like that's got to be my first my first incentive. But there are two extra rewards. Like there's obviously the digital reward, the the, the physical zine. Um, but there's two extras. One that I'm considering doing is just a little patch. I love patches. I feel like some kind of cool mech pilot patch would be an awesome thing to for people to have. Yeah. So I feel like that's something that I'm I'm working on right now. And like I said, I'm a I'm a miniature artist, so I have a super limited tier that's a little bit higher where I will make miniature art for people to basically uh, buy it. And and that's fun. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna either do it in like a uh, you know put them in a city or something like that. It'll be small. It's miniature art, but um. I don't know. I, I don't know if people will go for it, but like, I love miniature art. I want something to like remember this event as a, like an actual event. And so I'm, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. I'm looking at the, in your press, I'm looking at some of the art and the layout. And I'm curious, is there anyone else? Uh, is this a, a solo venture entirely or is there anyone else uh, on the team for this? No, it's just me. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of doing it all for this first go around. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, potentially getting some editors because I feel like that's something that I, everybody could use, use a hand with, but, um, layout and art and all of that for right now just to keep it simple again for this first one i'm i'm gonna do it all you know looking i really like the the layout is very like simple and clean but in a great way yeah, yeah. absolutely props to you for first time the layout looks great in those sample spreads yeah thank you i appreciate that um i yeah i i love i love layout design i love design in general so i'm happy to just play around with this and uh i've had lots of help right i've, I've reached out in some discord communities and people have given me feedback so um, you know, it's not not just me. It's it's a lot of helping hands. Yeah, that's one of the great things about Zine Month is like the you know a lot of mentorship, a lot of advice given. Are there like people who have helped you out throughout the process that you would shout out, and then maybe any like key pieces of advice you would want to share with other creators? So, so the the biggest person I want to shout out is uh, my friend Justin. So I was at a con last year, and Justin's like a an indie RPG designer, and he had a, a booth that you know. He's got a small business and he just basically sells uh, his indie RPGs. And they're great. They're great games. And I was chatting with him about this. Is that Justin Vandermeer? Justin Vandermeer, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, nice. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I, uh, I just like wanted to explain what I was doing and just look for a little bit of like help. And Justin offered, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll mentor you. I'll, I'll tell you what you need to know. I'll give you advice. I'll, I'll put you in connection. And it's been so helpful to just have that helping hand go through this. So I really wanted to uh, just shout out Justin for for all of that that work that they've done. But I think the one thing, and you and you kind of just touched on this. One thing that Justin suggested to me early on was, for your first zine, it's sometimes good to do as much of it on your own as possible because again, you keep it contained. It's within your your purview. You know, and you don't have to rely on any any other folks for it. But also, um, you get a sense of what it takes to do it all. And so if you need to go and get a layout artist or a, uh, an actual artist or something else afterwards, I feel like uh, you know that. And so I already lean into a bit of like, I'm, I'm okay trying to do it all myself. And so that, that really resonated with me at the beginning. I don't know if I'll do it for the next one, but uh, happy to do it for the first one for sure. It is also really good to like learn the language of all the different things you have to do. So like, so you can, if you have done a layout before, you can better communicate what your intentions and your your desires are for your layout with a layout artist. Same thing with writing, same thing with art. The more you're able to have your hands in it, just the more vocabulary you have to express your thoughts. And even just like think like the little things of thinking like, okay, if this zine is this many pages, how much spot art do I probably need? Like once you've done it yourself, you can kind of estimate that out, think through it without just like throwing a number at the wall and, and seeing if it's right. So totally agree. I think that I think that everybody should try a project where they do it all once. And like 
even if it's a bad project, like I'm not saying this is a bad project because I'm very excited about it, but like people should make, you know, even if you're going to make a bad game just to like try everything, if you think you're like crap at illustration or whatever, like just like try, try it out, you know, there's a great, this is a, a stolen thought from um, Viditia Valetti, who's a, an incredible designer who says make bad games. That's like, that's like their big online push is just like make bad games the more bad games you make the better you'll be when you make the good ones and it's like yeah i feel like that's just i don't know i feel like if as i've been listening to your podcast i feel like that's the thing that i've, I've taken away right is like do stuff make stuff like you, if you're not going to take chances you're never going to get to that next place if you're not going to what is it like I, I don't know am i bringing back the the wise man being a fool and is this like the 800th episode that we've said oh, it in oh secret so, of fool uh, go look forward to the secret of a wise man totally right yeah. and it's just that idea that like you have to you have to kind of embrace that risk of failure to create something of of greatness and it's going to it's going to be upon a pile of failures right like you know i did like home is my first game that I'm launching. It is not my first game, right? So like, that's the thing. There's a pile behind it that this has come out of. And it's just like, you need that to happen. hundred percent. That's a really good thought to highlight. It's the <laughs> first game you're launching. It's not necessarily the first game, but it doesn't have to be. Like those things can live in a drawer. Totally. Yeah, they might. I've got, I've got two games that live in a drawer and they might not ever come out. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized we didn't actually get to this, but what brought you to... Z this zine month like why zine month for you like why is why why join into this this sort of community initiative again i i gotta i gotta give props to justin for for this so when i when i came with this idea and like you know was talking a bit about you know developing a game and you know i i had aspirations like maybe it'd be great to to crowdfund it one day you know but i, I didn't really have anything set in mind and justin basically said like here's a timeline if you want to do this this is a timeline for you this is when you should like get these things done. You know, if you have this, this, and this done by these dates, like you're, you're on the right track. And so that sat in my head and it became like my top of the mountain North star that I kind of aimed towards. And there were parts where I waffled on it and I wasn't sure, but, uh, I don't know. I just kept marching and, and decided that, yeah, I'm, I'm it, if I'm not going to do it now, like when am I going to do it? Right. So just, just go for it now. And as we've been saying this whole interview series, like zine month is the best time. If you're going to launch a game for the first time, Man, do it during Zane Month. The community is so excited about new stuff. People are so excited about trying new stuff. And again, this is just such a good community that is will like so many people are willing to just give an insane amount of advice and guidance and tutelage. And it's just yeah, it's just honestly, it's a thing worth celebrating. 100%. And I don't know how you could like personally. I don't know how you could launch a game. I mean, I know people do it, and like it's definitely doable. But like. I don't know that I would be making games the way I'm making them now if I hadn't started with Zine Month two years ago. Because, like, I just, like, I don't know that I would have gone forward and made a game in, like, April, you know? Like, just, like, just, like, <laughs> put myself out there in a month where there wasn't this, like, wave of momentum that I felt like I could be a part of and, like... That Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a big... It's a very vulnerable thing, you know, to put a game out there. And so, like, when you see, you know, 200 other people doing it all at the same time, like, that's... That's awesome. The, it's, it's scary. It's, it's super scary, right? I mean, anytime you make something and, and ask someone else to 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 engage with it, it's scary. But like you said, the community is great. It's also a deadline. I love deadlines because it's like, it doesn't matter how good it is. It just has to be done by that point in time. And sometimes that's the most important <laughs> thing. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, I mean, you, you it's obviously going to be good, but it's just like, you got to push for it, right? That's the time at which nothing else matters. It's just go for it. The biggest truth of any creative endeavor is that it's done when it's due. <laughs> it's done when it's due. 100%. Yeah. That's yeah. it. 
there's the what's it don't let the don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough or something yeah, yeah don't let don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough yeah yeah absolutely i've been asking this of of everyone anytime i do a creative project there's always a thing that i think is the best part or is my favorite part it may not be what the thing is known for it may not be what anyone else thinks is the best part but i know in my heart of hearts that it's the best part what is the best part of home ah that's tough i mean i i love a lot of it um i i think that one of my favorite parts right now is I love the aspect of loss and hope, but I love how the the themes kind of fit together. I mean, I, I tried really hard to make it both simple yet like thematic in a lot of things. One of these little things that I really love is that for my boon dice and bane dice, I use symbols. I use a circle for the boon dice because it's like an O, boon, and I use like a, a chevron, like a, a little like A without the thing for bane dice. It's like an A. It's like a... And I'd reuse those symbols everywhere in my layout to represent the O represents good things. It represents your home. It represents your mech. It represents things like that. Whereas the chevron or the the triangle represent the kaiju. And so it's super small. And like, I don't know if people are going to pick up on it, but it doesn't matter because I, I like the like thematic unity of it. And um, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that most people aren't going to care about, but I'm just like, ah, I like it. Yeah. No, I like. I'm, I'm looking at some of the layouts now, and I'm like, yeah, that. Those are those unknown details that like people don't know they're seeing, but does mean something to the brain when you're like reading a book. I hope you know? so. Like, yeah, just like the absorption of it. Yeah, and any great work of art or any great project or any great anything is just a culmination of a series of very small decisions and taking the extra time to go the extra mile, and it adds up. Absolutely. So. Nick, the last question that we always like to ask on this podcast is what are you bringing to the table? And this is a recommendation for our listeners. And for Zine Month, we are asking all the creators we talk to to shout out at least one other Zine Month project that they want to draw people's attention to. Could be multiple, could be one. Um, what's kind of what's kind of got your interest? So I think I think the 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 game or the Zine Month project I would like to shout out is Miru, uh, which is Miru 3 by a, a great designer, uh, Haido Kodo. So one of the first connections that that Justin provided me was to uh, the Atopia Discord, which is Haido Kodo's Discord. And Haido Kodo is just like a great designer. Um, I feel like a lot of my a lot of my layout and design have been kind of like inspired by what they've done with the previous versions of Miru. And I believe they're doing an, like an actual analog tabletop version of Miru 3 for Miru 3 as well. And so I think I, I'd shout out that uh, really cool, uh, really cool designer, really cool games and um, deserving of folks' attention for sure. Hell love yeah. That. Yeah. Love, love Hinakoto. Miru, such cool games. I'm excited for Miru 3 and to see, yeah, I think they're doing like a box set kind of deal um, at some point. That's very cool. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming to the table. Do you want to let people know one more time where they can find you and where they can find home? So you can find me at deepdark.games. That's the website. You could also kind of get the social started up. There's some Instagram posts on Deep Dark Games. And uh, yeah, that's the best place to find me. Find home on Kickstarter during Zine Month. And um, really excited to, to get it out there, to get it in folks' hands. And we wish you the absolute best of luck funding home. We are obviously extremely excited. I think a lot of other people are going to be too. And congratulations on your first project. Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate the chat. And that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. Later. See ya. Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. 
In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer, known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! Today, Brian and I are joined by Darling Demon Eclipse to talk about their zine, Biotrophication, which is a horror, sci-fi, romance zine for two players. It's a whole genre mashup. You're going to love it. Eclipse, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Always excited. This is one of our last interviews that we're recording, and we've loved talking to so many Zine Month designers. It's just so many very, very different things that are happening, and I think this game is no exception. Can you give us real quick the elevator pitch for this project? Yeah, absolutely. So Biotrophication is a alien horror sci-fi romance teacher RPG for two players. It's a zine, of course. And it is uh, inspired by the Human Domestication Guide by Glitchy Robo. And it is kind of playing with uh, themes of, one might say, less than ethical alien and human relationships and, and using them to kind of talk about themes of kink and gaslighting and society and capitalism. <laughs> so a very, very small, very, very small things, nothing big. Yeah, small things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love in, the, um, in the, the, the draft of your text, you say, this game is meant to be somewhere between distressing and hot, which is such a, <laughs> such a great first line to get you into the right headspace for a game like this. I love that. One of the first questions we like to ask in this series, because we think it's a good way to start kind of big and then get to the specifics of this game. What is your ethos as a game designer? Like, do you have a common North Star that you're kind of always shooting towards? Yeah, I, I think from a design standpoint, I'm I'm often very much leaning towards very evocative prompts. I think that I want players to come to the table with my games with the understanding that they're going to be, you know, guided through the themes that the text explores gently. And then I also, from a, I guess from a more ideological standpoint, try to make my games, especially recently, I've, I've been trying to make my games adult in the way that like, you know, Monster Hearts or Apocalypse World are, because I think that it's something that is very core to like the identity of you know, adult indie RPGs or, or, you know, adult marketed indie teacher RPGs. And I think that I think that it's something that that's important to, you know, to kind of be open with and, and play with. So you mentioned with this game one specific inspiration that I can't remember the name you said, but what are kind of the like, are there other touchstones and inspirations that you would highlight for connecting to this game? Yeah. So the, the one that I mentioned was um, Human Domestication Guide by Glitchy Robo. Yes. I would also point out the specifically, I forget the exact name of this this universe, but there is a specific universe of human domestication guide fan fiction that specifically influenced this one. It's by Sheepwave. I would also gesture towards, um, in terms of teach RPGs, I think that there's some Firebrands inspiration here um, in the way that the scenes play out, uh, that being Vincent Baker's mobile frame Firebrands. 
And I would also gesture towards, you know, a broader history of, of two-player lyric games. I think there's like so many that I, <laughs> that I could draw from. But uh, yeah, generally, generally uh, games in that sort of vein, which are, you know, about, about a ticking clock and, and, you know, rotating cycles and, and, and stuff in that vein. I feel like this is a type of game that I don't have as much familiarity with as I do with other types. Of, I think the closest I've gotten to playing something like this is recently playing StarCrossed. Oh yeah, which I think is is in the vein of it, but I think this is definitely much. It's structured in a very different way. It seems like there's like some LARP influence here. Would you say that this kind of has elements of LARP to it? I, I would definitely say so. I mean, I, I think it helps that, <laughs> like my um, a lot of my like experience in facilitating things comes from my background as a student, like student organization leader in college. And so a lot of my, my orientation around those things is towards conversation and towards like, you know, engaging every party at the table. Um, and so I think like, I, I don't personally have much experience with LARP, but I think that I have experience with things that are LARP adjacent. And so they, they might, I, I, it, it makes sense that they would come off that way. Uh, Cause yeah, definitely. Could you talk us through the different types of scenes in this game? Cause the, the structure of this game is pretty interesting. I think it's worth pointing out how scenes play out throughout the game. Yeah. So the way that it plays out is there's a human scene where the alien basically facilitates a scene chosen by the human for, for them to play through and then there's an alien scene where where the alien picks a scene and the human facilitates that. And then there's an appointment scene where the two meet together, have a conversation. Things either get more or less tense. And the, the whole thing is kind of pointed towards a pressure to, I would almost say like a pressure per, to perform. Like there is a pressure on both of these parties to to act in the way that they are they are expected to by this this broader society. And then the the game is eventually going to have later acts that will have uh, you know their own sort of additional elements. Um, there there will be transformation scenes and scenes about exploring like immortality and what that's like for you know humans and aliens. So yeah, uh, the 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 current act is you know fairly simple, but later on it'll get a lot weirder. <laughs> and then I I'm curious about the the appointment scene in particular because I think this is the one that's. Really, that really like piqued my interest the most of like there's a human scene where you kind of understand more of the human side there's the alien scene we understand the alien side and then there's the appointment scene where the alien is checking in with the human in this like scheduled appointment thing i'm curious how that came about when you were designing this and also like what that ends up looking like when you've played the game yeah uh, i think i should be very specific about the fact i think the appointment scene was very inspired by the specific human domestication guide fanfic that I mentioned, uh, Sheepwaves Ache of Maculatum, which is, uh, it's very like hum- human is being therapized by, <laughs> by alien vibe. But uh, I think more generally, like I find the, there's almost sort of an opposite dynamic that happens with like, th- there's this idea that I, cause I'm, I'm disabled. There's this idea that I hear a lot in like disabled spaces that is often kind of you know, discoursed around and around, which is like the idea that like in some ways like therapy is therapy is good and therapy is like important for processing trauma, but sometimes therapy is preparing you to go work a job, right? And in some ways this is the opposite of that. This is or 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 it is the aliens version of that, right? It is the 
the aliens expect a certain thing of humans that is different from what humans expected of humans. And some part of the therapy that they give these humans is, you know, in, intended to encourage them to do that. So it's it's kind of a a commentary or reversal. And also it's just it's an interesting opportunity to get to get the human alien player to play their characters, you know, opposed to each other. It does make for a good I, I feel like the a therapy session is like such a good and rich area for two people who have very different points of views to like just be able to just say them like you don't have to dance around it. You can just be like, well, I see it this way. Well, I see it this way. Let's be at odds. <laughs> just makes it really easy to be caught to be in conflict in a way that makes sense and is like easy to get into. Yeah. And in play, I've found that it creates this really interesting dyna- dynamic where the alien is um, not a very good therapist. Sure. And is kind of projecting their ideology onto the human. And it, it just it creates really it creates some real drama. It's great. So you said that your the the goal of the eventual game is to build it out into into uh, additional acts. So I guess that kind of takes us to your your funding. So when is this campaign happening? Where is it happening? And what kind of are the different rewards that people can get by by helping support it? Yeah. So the campaign is going to be on Kickstarter on uh, February fourteenth, Valentine's Day, until March second. the The main two goals or main goals that we have are. 1400 for the book itself with layout and edit, uh, which will include the first act, which is uh, like currently available the, uh, as a preview on my Patreon. And then the second act and the third act will be there with that. And then at 1600, there will be an additional act by my uh, uh, guest writer, uh, uh, Toxicog. And then at, uh, at, at 2000, I'll be doing some additional art. And also folks can get their name in the book for like a, a little bit extra. And there's there's also some bundle options for for polycules. <laughs> and you're you're also releasing this both as digital and physical? Yes. So there will be PDF and physical editions. Physical will be run through IPR and uh, digital will be uh, itch. Love that. Amazing. And, and I forget, is this your first physical release? Yes, this is my first physical release. I'm very excited. Congratulations. That's going to be fun. Thank you. How, how are you feeling? Because I feel like I, I like talking about physical releases because anytime someone does their first physical release you all of a sudden are confronted with a bunch of new skills you have to learn. You've got to learn about the, you know, the shipping taxes and, you know, what bleed is and what the margin is. And, you know, do I use Mixum? Do I use this? Do I use that? Do I use a local printer? Have you found anything be, to be particularly challenging or or interesting or, or noteworthy that you think you've maybe like learned a lesson that you could share with our listeners if they're looking to print their first game? Well, I mean, thankfully, I have Alyssa Duckler, who's my consultant on this project, who knows this stuff and has taken me through pretty much all of it. I will say two big things that I think folks should keep an eye on if you're making a physical book. I have, I have already made the mistake of registering my finances as an individual. Make an LLC or some sort of company to, you know, uh, mitigate some of that some of that tax burden. And uh, I would also say keep keep an eye on the shipping, like keep in contact with IPR on shipping or wh- whoever your whoever your people are, because it's 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 going up all the time. Yeah, it's one of those things you got to keep watching out for. Yeah. So this is your first physical re- release. What what brought you to Zine Month this year? Why Zine Month? Why was this the right time for you to to go after this? I wrote the the parts of this book that are done in like a in like a frenzy in like three hours one one night, and then to go back through and like edit it, and I was like, oh, this is a Zine sized thing, and I made this in like early January. <laughs> I was like, 
you know, I've, I've been talking about releasing physical games, and I was like, you know what, I've, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go up to Doc and be like, hey, do you wanna, do you wanna work on a on a physical game with me? And now, now, now here I am. As far as this game, are there any other people on your team that you'd want to shout out? and what their contributions are to the game. Yes, I would love to shout out my editor, uh, Herd of Creatures, or uh, Herd of Cre- Creatures Cryptomeria, and I would also like to shout out my layout person, uh, Lethish. And I know you mentioned that you have a consultant on this, and I feel like one of the big things that's sort of of the spirit of Zine Month is that people like often can turn to folks who've done this before for advice and mentorship and the like. So I'm, I'm curious if from either that person or from anybody else, if there's like big key pieces of advice that you've gotten that you would want to share. Making sure that you have a a kind of presentable page when it launches. Like I think having a tidy page and having like, you know, good art and assets like really, really, really helps. Um, My consultant was very clear about like, hey, you should you should have uh, artistic like labels for all these sections instead of just text. And that that was a great bit of uh, recommendation. Like if you can adorn your your page Without getting like too sloppy, like make sure it's legible because it will get a little pixelated. But like, if you can adorn your page with stuff that looks good, you should, <laughs> I think. Um, and keep keep within scope. Like, I mean, I this this is a I would say in many ways like a, a minimum viable product. Like we, besides like the stretch goals, really tried to keep it to keep it to a certain scale. And I think I think that's important. Know what you're making going in. Like, you know. If you're making a big zine, make a big zine. If you're making a small zine, make a, make a small zine. Scope creep is the most dangerous thing in zine month. 100%. Because yeah. because all of a sudden you and I think especially during the, this month it's potent because you make your thing and you're like, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything else. I'm just gonna do this this zine. But then you start seeing other people's stuff and you're like, ooh, that's a cool idea. Ooh, what if I do ooh, what if, what if, what if, what if, and what if is the most dangerous thing in the world when you're about to start a pro just, listen. What if is great early on when you get to the point where you're about to do the Kickstarter, you got to put the what ifs in a different jar. (laughs) What ifs are for later. Put the what ifs in a different jar is good. Exactly. You don't need a table for different types of beans. Tell them to go onto Wikipedia for that. Exactly. Exactly. It's not urgent. (laughs) Oh, God. Got to get rid of the bean table stretch goal off my project now. Appendix K is getting a little bloated. (laughs) Because of all the beans. I've got a, another question I've been asking everybody that I always have fun with, and, and I always preface it by saying that every project I work on, there's always a part of it that is my favorite, my darling. Whether or not it's the best, whether or not it's actually good, it's the thing that I think is good and is for me and I love and it's my baby and I won't kill it. Um, I'm curious, for you, what is the best part of this game? I think I killed on the art. Like, I think the writing in this game is very good. Like, I think I did, I did a really good job with the writing. I think the art is, I, I can't think of another game that looks like it. <laughs> like, That's good. Uh, the weird Game Boy palette shit that I did, the, you know, some of the creatures I've drawn for it. Like, I, I'm very excited for folks to see some of the stuff that I have not yet shown. Uh, yeah, I do love the color palette you've chosen. That's so good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to see even more in the art because the art that, that I've seen thus far is cool. and I'm excited to see all of it. And you're also... Did I see online that you're running some streams throughout to promote? Yeah, so I have uh, I have streams that they're kind of interspersed. Um, generally, they're on Wednesdays. There's some exceptions, but uh, yeah, streams with friends and partners and running the game pretty much all up until 
literally the last one is on March 6th, or sorry, March 2nd with, with, with my consultant. So, <laughs> And if people are trying to catch that stream, uh, where should they go? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Darling Demon Eclipse. So I guess I'm curious, this is your first physical release. Does this make you want to go make more physical releases or do you will you go back to like smaller digital releases or or do you think like this like I've done it and now I have like bigger and better ideas for physical releases? I'm actually uh, there are some people who are not awake who I need to talk to some people about this, but like I am probably going to be doing more physical releases in a potentially in a co-op. We'll see what happens. Oh, <laughs> oh, hell, yeah. Cool. hell yeah. Yeah. Um, me and my friends are kind of it's it's been a thing that we've talked about and like enough of us have talked to each other about it privately that we're like we should just talk all together about this now it's it's it sounds to me like they don't know it is happening yet but you do yeah. <laughs> it's like it's happening yeah i i I I know that we're going to be talking to them about it, and they've they've talked to me about wanting to do it. So it's like it's it's gonna happen. Very cool, very and, cool. And that's always just, especially for game design. I feel like having that cohort of people that you're always able to like bounce ideas off of and help promote and help play, and it is a huge boon to have that creative partner or that creative team uh, that you can just kind of always go back to and lean on and, and fall back on. And it's really just like the spirit of Zine Month. Like everyone kind of gets that in Zine Month, but having it year round is even better. Yeah, it's especially going to be helpful. I think uh, I I have a like a thousand plus page uh, kink fantasy heartbreaker. People have called it OSR. I don't think it's OSR, but it's it's a PBTA. But it's got some it's got some tables in it and also some like weird spell stuff. Uh, up sapphic world I, I want to release that physically Ooh, and i think nice. i think i'm getting closer to making that possible so that'll be cool hell yeah i do actually want to i want to ask you uh because i think that there's like interestingly and i'm sure people have had this conversation there's interestingly a lot of parallels between like kink and tabletop role-playing games and like i want to mm-hmm. just kind of ask you a little bit more about how that has inspired this project specifically if you don't mind going into it yeah absolutely um so like i Another thing I did that I did in college, I was a, a pretty frequent member at a at a, the Next Generation, which was the uh, my university's like like kicking education student org. I think that really informed like my my philosophy about about safety tools and about safety tools and also like writing about kink. The main takeaway that I I think I have is like I think safety tools are really useful, and I think that like uh, I think they're great, but also I think it, it's really important to make it clear to players of your game what sort of conversations they should be having. And also, I, I think there's a there's kind of an un, unspoken thing about, about safety tools, which is they're not just supposed to be for, here's the stuff that I don't want to have happen in this game. They should also be used as, here are things that I enthusiastically want to have happen in this game. Yeah. I, I can see myself expanding the safety tools, honestly, in biotrophication for that reason, because I, I think that's a really important, like, that's probably the, you know, the 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 hell yes is something that is like very present in kink, but I, I think is is maybe missing in in a lot of conversations about RPG safety. We have been, or I've been trying to make a conscious effort to do that a little bit within my first dungeon, our our actual play podcast, of getting the like great. We've talked about safe tools of what you don't want. What are the things you do want? And it's so great to have that information, especially as a game master, to be like. Great, you just did all the work for me. What do you what do you want to play? I don't have to guess at it. You just told me exactly what you wanted. 
I'll just do that. I'll put my spin on it, but I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, my friend, uh, my friend Jess Levine, uh, who's uh, making Planet Fist. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, has a uh, in in the play for that the like squad sheet for that. There's a safety section, and recently Jess's been working on trying to formulate a way to do like a, a, an anonymous like hell yes for certain subjects, and I, I think it's such a great idea. Uh, and I think it's yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm excited to see more more stuff in that vein. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm almost thinking like, because one of the ones I always go to is lines and veils as a safety tool. And I feel like lines and veils maybe needs like, and spotlights or something. Mm. Yeah, I knew that I knew there would be an, an interesting answer to that question, because I just feel like there are so many parallels between kind of these two communities, maybe more than people would expect. Yeah. <laughs> so Eclipse, our our closing question for for all of these zine month episodes is is our is our recommendation question. What are you bringing to the table? And for for zine month, we'd specifically love it if you could shout out another zine month project or zine month creator or multiple if you if you'd like to shout out multiple. Yeah, uh, I'm going to highlight from Midgard to Eternity on Crowdfunder, which is uh, by Armanda Holler and um, Hippolita, also with cover art by Amanda Lee Frank and interior art by Vapor Druid. Not only am I just a big fan of uh, Armanda and Hippolyta's work, I, I really like the concept of a of a sort of solo road trip through the the uh, Norse afterlife. I think that's such a fun concept, and I'm really excited to see it. I love you know the style, the stuff that they've already released, and uh, I, I I hope the people uh, when that launches give that a look. Absolutely great, Rick. Yeah, and we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Eclipse, thank you so much for coming to the table and telling us about biotrophication. One more time before we get out of here, can you let people know where they can find you online and when and where they can find the campaign for biotrophication? Yes, I am Darling Damon Eclipse. You can find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash ddemoneclipse. I am also on Patreon at Darling Demon Games. And uh, Biotrophication will be launching February 14th, Valentine's Day, on Kickstarter. And one more time, Eclipse, thank you so much for coming on the show. And that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you once again to Nick and Eclipse for joining us at the table for our very last Zine Month special episode. It has been an incredible month, chock full of amazing designers, both new and old. So go check out all of these amazing games. We've had so much fun this month highlighting indie designers, and we hope that you guys have enjoyed it too. We'll be back to our regular episodes starting next week. And remember, that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. If you're looking for more great gaming content from everyone here at Many Sided Media, you should consider subscribing to the 20-Sided Newsletter. It's a free, bi-monthly newsletter for people who love games, make games, and just love making games. To subscribe, just go to 20sidednewsletter.substack.com or follow the link in the show notes.